Welcome to the Double Screw Podcast. I'm Chris Wagner, your host. I'm in the studio today with Richard Jackson, ceramic artist and UNR preparator and ceramics guru and expert. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome to the studio, Richard. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, we're, I'm going to go way back to 1987 because that's where your UNR bio says you started studying ceramics in 1987. Yeah, it was about then. What kind of art scene were you involved in back then, and how did you get into it? I got my degree in, obviously, art, with an emphasis on drawing. And that was always my strong suit. And I thought I'd try ceramics at some point. And it was my actually the worst facet of my formal training at, at the university. The worst? It, yeah, it was the what least. What happened? It just was um, something I didn't thrive on, mm-hmm. and I struggled with three-dimensional things. It's so different than, two, than two-dimensional. Then it, it's a complete different world. And most of my art to this day is wall-hanging ceramic sculpture, and it's all graphically driven, or mostly graphically driven. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was always influenced by a lot of pop art, and album cover art because I have a long history of music in my background. I always would draw on my pieces and just kind of got carried away with it. And so I got away from it for years and years and years. And I went through a little change of life and came back and started doing it again 15 years later or so, (laughs) 20 years later. Went up there encouraged by my significant other. And she said, why don't you, you always talk about your buddy Fred Reed, who was the lab technician Mm -hmm. long before I was. And a a big ceramics artist around here. Yes, yes. And he was always my mentor for drawing and other um, mediums. And he, uh, when I was talking to my significant other, she goes, well, why don't you take ceramics? And I thought, man, my ceramics, when I was up there formally, were so bad, I'll give it a try again. (laughs) <laughs> I went back up there for a summer class, and, and the rest is kind of history. I, I love stories love like that. This I love stories that start with, like, somebody I respected was doing it, and then I yes. I did it too. Fred Fred was one of my biggest mentors up there, along with um, Michael Sarich, Bob Morrison, yeah. Ed Martinez, of course, is one of my big ones, and a friend of mine who used to... He's basically my adopted father, but he ran around with all these guys, um, and he was an artist here in town. He owned a graphic arts studio here in town, and they were all just huge influences, along with Joe Narazabalaga as well and some of the other characters. Yeah, and a lot of those folks are still around making art. You better believe it. Yep. Shaking it up. You better believe it. <laughs> Here's one thing I'm wondering. It, the world has changed a lot in the, in the last couple decades. Sure. And it, it feels to me like the art world has changed a lot. But has ceramics changed too? It has. It's definitely gotten a little more progressive. But you still have those big influences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bob Arneson and, and June Canerco and Peter Volkos. The, you know, those guys were revolutionary, and they changed the whole scope of things. But I th- I think it's definitely come a little further as far as a fine art thing rather than a pottery or a craft. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not knocking on that at all. 
I think it's become a little more accepted and a little more progressive. Do you think you still see those the influences of those artists you just mentioned who are dating back to like the 60s, 50s, right? You better believe it. Yep. You know, I think I still see them, their yeah, fingerprints all over they, ceramics. They are. As well they should be because they were all pioneers. You know, when you're working in ceramics, you're working in a medium that you're on the shoulders of giants. I mean, how many ceramics are as old as outside of cave paintings as any kind of <laughs> yeah, art, you know? Yeah. So. And there's something so cool about your trajectory. So a lot of artists talk about wanting to find the next thing and really explore entirely new aesthetics. And you work at this pace where like you push things forward slowly and steadily and you perfect things and you're, yes. you're not in a rush exactly and you can't be with ceramic arts you need time for things to dry you need time to fire and i'm always looking for you know new glaze ideas or combinations or things like that so you push forward but you're also painfully aware of the past too and i think that's a real unique thing about it you reminded me of something I think about sometimes when I read a novel from the 19th century or a poem from the 15th century, and I really relate and I think, oh, that's th things haven't changed. The way human brains work hasn't changed in a way. I, I like this person still talking about what I'm talking about. Are, are you saying you kind of feel that way about the history of... Without, of without a doubt. The, the history of ceramics? Without a doubt. Yeah, you're like, you still really relate, huh? Yeah, and I mean, at, at its base level, you're dealing with everything you're dealing with fire you're dealing with water you're dealing with oxygen you're dealing with the earth what else do we have you know uh-huh that's, uh -huh. that's <laughs> it's pretty much our whole environment yeah and so. gosh those things are just so much fun aren't they yes yes <laughs> did the pandemic affect your art practice much yes as a matter of fact i was just talking with my colleague uh, becky bogard about it this morning and she said well did this put you in a funk this whole a pandemic? And I said, how could it not put you in a funk? I go, it, it definitely screwed with my head, for sure. And not being able to fire as frequently as possible. And because you need to get together with people to do that, right? Yeah. And so um, I used to fire my own artwork at least once every two weeks. And then this last year, I'd probably fire once every two months. And this stuff is a sanity saver. Yes. And then you, you couldn't have yeah. access to it. Part of the problem too is I've been very uninspired until probably about the last two months because working up at the university, you're busy running around worried about students and masks and shuffling them in and out. And we were one of the first classes once a pandemic hit. We had a summer class. Tom Draculich and I did, another one of my colleagues and just all you could think about was their safety everybody's safety so in our world is it a little bit back to normal with classes we're getting there i i wish you expedience so i i want to talk about your imagery for a minute so you tend to be inspired by like lo-fi imagery tattoo imagery that mm -hmm. kind of thing do you remember how you first encountered those sorts of styles and do you remember what struck you about them you know I've been thinking about that lately the last couple of weeks. I just go back to the same thing, you know, album cover art, tattoo art. That whole style then definitely evolved into rock and roll art. And then you had Rick Griffin and, and Mouse and Kelly doing all the Grateful Dead and the Fillmore stuff. You know, I've always been attracted to that, flying eyeballs and 
skulls, flames, you know. <laughs> My earliest drawings were all these creepy little drawings. I've, I've always had this kind of dark side, but I never want it to be offensive. I've never been afraid of it, and I would never want to offend anyone. You know, in other cultures, skulls aren't bad things. And one thing I like about it is they're becoming more popular, and they have been for... Ooh, the last few decades now. And it's and tattoos are more acceptable. When I was growing up, some of the bigger guys I liked were an illustrator named Jim Fitzpatrick, who did uh, all the Thin Lizzy album covers. Uh-huh. Frank Frazetta, who did all the Molly Hatchet covers. And, you know, when I was in middle school, I'd just I'd drool over the album cover art as much as I would what I, when I'm listening to it. It's always been there with me, and it always will be. You know, I've I've done this imagery since I was in third or fourth grade, and I knew I was going to make art my whole life and stick with what you know. So skulls, skulls are a big motif for you. I go back to, you know, my mentor Fred always was making ducks, dogs, horses, birds. That's primarily what he dealt with. He taught me long ago. I just use that as a canvas to draw on. So mm-hmm. my ceramic forms, they're just canvases for me to draw on. Your skull is like a, your, your your notebook paper almost. That's huh? it. That's yeah, it. Yeah. I was talking with Aaron uh, Hurdle, an amazing painter here in town, a uh, dear friend. And when we first start talking about art, we always say, there are some people that, that decide maybe in the middle of their life that they want to be an artist. Or you, not in the middle of their life, but let's f- say formative, 17 or 18 years old. Arn and I talked about it, and we were those kids that were doodling on our notebooks since we were in second grade. You know, my <laughs> notebooks or any time I had paper and was bored in school, I'm drawing on it. And if I, if I stumbled across Richard's second grade notebook now, I get the feeling I would know it was yours. Yes, you <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. would. Hey, you mentioned something really, really interesting a minute ago. You're talking about how skull imagery is read differently in different cultures. Yes. And I've been thinking about that too. Like there are all kinds of images that, that people use and that artists use. You know, you can use the same thing in a different way to convey a different meaning. So a skull, for example, could be creepy, it could be cute, it could be a Dia de los Muertos kind of aesthetic, it could be straight up scientific looking. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you like, do you think about that? All the time. All the time. And for you, it's, it's almost a, you said like a blank canvas. That's a, that's that's a super interesting thing. It's, they, they just become a vessel for me to, to put my art on and, you know, the way I make my, my ceramic skulls before I start glazing or drawing on them, you know, they're, they're all different to me. And I'll see a little mark on one of my pieces, and I go, okay, I, I can incorporate that into this next image. So, Could you pick one, one specific piece that's a, a favorite or one that you've made recently and describe what it looks like to give people an idea? Uh, yeah, I lost one of my, my dogs. So I've been... Putting a lot of dog imagery, uh, little portraits of my dog on there. Um, I've had boxers for the last, since I was 40, so let's go 13 years. My first boxer had a little heart, a little white heart on her chest, and uh, I always would scribble those. They're all over my art for the last 10 years. And then when I lost my buddy Hank, I've been doing a lot of uh, homages to him, yeah, you know, yeah. um, because he was such a special, special guy. So 
you know, my, my new hearts that they're, if you look at them closely, I, I very seldomly keep a lot of my art. I probably only have two or three pieces that hang in my house. But once in a great while, I'll pull a piece out of the kiln. And I, I this one came out and I said, this isn't going to even be shown in a gallery. It's going right in my house and it's hanging in my kitchen right now. And it brings me a ton of joy. You're listening to the Double Scoop Podcast. I'm Chris Wagner. My guest today is Reno ceramic artist Richard Jackson, who's the co-curator of the group exhibition Skull. He and Las Vegas artist Chris Botter asked dozens of artists to send in skull-themed sculptures and images. The show is up at the Shepherd Gallery at UNR until December 1st. There are a few places around town where people can see your work, uh-huh. bars in particular. Yes. <laughs> Give us a little tour of where, where we should keep an eye out for some Richard Jackson uh, work. I've got uh, definitely some at the chapel. There's a ton of them there. Craft, the 40 Mile. Oh, PJ's Restaurant has, has one of mine. I've sold as much out of coffee shops, bars, whatever, as I have out of formal galleries, because you get more foot traffic there. I just kind of fell into it because once Duncan, the owner of Chapel, started hanging my pieces, then other bar owners are like, how come I don't have one? You know, or business owners. And I was like, all you have to do is ask. So you are organizing an exhibition for UNR's Shepherd Gallery. Yes. That starts in November. How did that show come about and what are your plans for it? This was a show that was curated by former UNR student. Uh, he got his undergraduate degree there and then went on to UNLV. And his name is Chris Bowder. And he had been curating this show in Las Vegas for several, several years, long before I even knew about it or I even knew him. And talking with Fred and Mike Sarich, they always giggled they said it's a good thing that you and chris didn't take classes together because you would have collectively destroyed the studio worse than you did as individuals <laughs> um so you know mike and fred were like well you gotta meet chris he's you know one <laughs> he's just like you so uh i i met him and automatically he goes well you're going to be in the art in the skull show and i said well great of course and so it was down in Vegas, always in Vegas, and Chris pitched the idea. Do you want to co-curate this show? Let's bring it to Reno. And I said, easy. No and- I said, sure. And I organized it with, you know, our at the time, um, Paul Baker Prindle, our gallery director at the time. And he's like, oh, hell yeah, we got to bring this up to Reno. Oh, so and you've been planning this for a while. It was supposed to happen. And then this COVID thing uh, got in the way. We had actually, part of the tradition of this is Chris prints up t-shirts every year for the Skull Show and sells them to help offset the cost of shipping art and just basic costs. Ooh, where can we get our t-shirts? At the opening. But they're going to be, they're going to say Skull 2020 (laughs) because... (laughs) We couldn't have them. <laughs> and everyone will understand. We all know uh, every, what a canceled 2020 exactly. show is. So, yes, you can get the shirts there, and they're a great graphic. A little tattoo iconography on there, but it harks back to that 
statue that used to be out in front of the the nugget and sparks the old miner guy with the pistoleros but it's got a skull for the face but it, it pretty much looks like that they're really they're really great your lineup for this show is incredible it's a lot of vegas artists a lot of reno artists it's it's kind of yeah. a who's who it, it is yeah it's been it's been a real pleasure to be on that end because you know chris is taking care of all the the Vegas artists, and uh, I was in charge of the Reno side, so it's been super fun to kind of pick and, and choose those artists and invite some of them because a lot of them, you know, there's a couple tattoo artists in there. you got the old guard with Joan Arzabalaga and Michael and, and Ed and those guys with a lot of new faces and a lot of great artists have come through the UNR system as well. Michelle Laxall and some of those folks, even though they're all over the country, they're sending their skull pieces in. Some of the artists have sent me uh, texts of their work, out-of-town artists, and there's going to be some beautiful, amazing pieces in this show. As they filter in, it's it's been very exciting. You know, it's everybody's doing such different things. I can't wait to see this. Yeah, it's going to be crazy because it's in the Shepherd Gallery, which isn't the biggest gallery. I think we've got like 54 artists or somewhere around there. Do you have any other news to share? I have to give a shout out to Holland Project. You know, they're they're always great. And I'm, I'm super stoked that they um, are having shows again and live music again. That's very exciting to me because I am a music junkie. I think that's about the most exciting darn thing going on in my life <laughs> is that I get to go see rock and roll again. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Yeah, it's a relief. It's a relief. Welcome back, rock and roll. We yes, missed you. Yes, yes. <laughs> Welcome back, jazz. Welcome back, everything. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming over. It's Thank great you, catching Chris. up with you. Always. You've been listening to episode 14 of the Double Scoop podcast. My guest today has been Reno ceramic artist Richard Jackson. He and Las Vegas artist Chris Botter are the co-curators of the new exhibition, Skull, a showcase of skull-themed images and sculptures by a few generations worth of Reno and Vegas-based artists. The show is up at the Shepherd Gallery in UNR's Church Fine Arts Building from November 4th till December 1st. In today's interview... Richard mentioned his friend and colleague, Aaron Hurdle. Aaron came into the studio to talk about painting back in February 2020. If you'd like to hear that conversation, it's in Episode 9. The easiest places to find Episode 9 are on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Our sound engineer is Nico Wagner. Our theme music is on loan from Reno musician Greg Gilmore. It's from his song, Who Am I? This episode received support from the Nevada Arts Council and the National Endowment for the Arts. You can listen to the Double Scoop podcast on KWNK 97.7 FM Sunday mornings at 8 or catch it anytime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or on our website at doublescoop.art. I'm Chris Wagner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>